Hello and welcome to the Arna Law Podcast. This is the first episode of our education series where we bring our expertise in various fields to break down and explain complex and interesting questions in national and international law. This episode features extracts from a lecture given by Arna Law managing partner Kamala Naganand at the OP Jindal Global Law University in April 2022 titled International Law the impact of conflict on cultural property during the course of the talk kamala who has been key to building up arna's art law practice traces the historical background of the protection of cultural heritage in times of war while exploring the history of how international law has addressed these issues she also discusses case studies of cultural property that have been targets of attacks in recent times As we continue to witness an increasingly grim situation in Ukraine, we must remember that valuable works of art and other cultural property are so often collateral damage in conflicts between countries. That's what makes this talk so timely and important, and we hope you get a lot of useful information from it. Here is part 1 of this podcast. Good evening everyone good evening students who are here in person good evening miss naganand and her team um i'm here to welcome you on behalf of center for law and humanities for our virtual guest lecture series um miss naganand is joining us here today for our first guest lecture on the art and law intersections of for center for law and humanities um miss naganand is the co-founder and managing partner at arna law where she heads the intellectual property media technology and data protection practice she's also actively involved in advising companies in mergers and acquisitions contracts documentation foreign exchange and investments um Beyond this however uh, Ms Naganand is one of the few art law practitioners and scholars um who are practicing in India who are involved in art law work um her art law review for 2021 and you know uh, her annual art law review is very informative and i suggest all people who are interested to do go and take a look at it um So her passion for art has driven her to be active in the art law space and also build Arna Law's art law practice. Um she's talking to us today about international law, the impact of conflict on cultural property. Um the lecture is going to be about 30 to 40 minutes. Um all of the attendees are requested to uh, share their questions on the chat and we'll take them all together after the lecture is over. Um over to you Ms Naganand thank you for joining us good evening and thank you all for inviting me to this uh session uh it's actually been amazing as i've been preparing for this i have learned a lot so every time you know we go out and talk uh i'm very very grateful for the opportunity because there's always something that i learn in the process so welcome students um the reason i chose this topic and samya was very kind to give me options uh was because of what is happening right now in ukraine i think we all cannot sit down and just forget what is happening in the world today it is a very very polarized uh time and uh, somebody once said if you pray to choose to live in interesting times then you will 
have difficult choices to make and i think we are living in those very very difficult to- uh, times where in the last two years we have seen and um, experienced things that in the modern world today we never ever thought would we would ever experience right and so uh, what we're trying to do through this talk is to just create some awareness on international law uh, and its obligations towards art and cultural property right and what i'm really looking to do is share with you what i have learned in this process of how important it is right to protect culture and by that i'm talking about any form of culture right be it paintings be it art be it music be it writings architecture um ways of living right our cultural heritage is really really something that is intangible to such an extent that we really don't pay attention to it and it's only when it is lost right that somebody realizes and say oh my goodness this is gone right we are languages so i think what we should do is just spend some time contemplating on what what does culture mean to you right and what are you doing to protect it and save it now on an international perspective what i'd like to do is introduce you to various concepts and various treaties and various international obligations of parties so you know what we're going to do is to look at both the indian perspective and the international perspective and what this will be is a little bit of time travel and a little bit of history as well right because the introduction to art really and plundering of art in modern history began maybe in the late 17th and early 18th century where napoleon was renowned for his theft of art and antiques and as he conquered lands and returned to france with his spoils of war that he called uh it became an example where it highlighted the contentious role that cultural property played in armed conflict right and that the conquest and the claims that an enemy can make and a military power can destroy parts of culture which was really really very very stark to see so for example when when nazi germany took over jewish families homes properties appropriated a lot of the art which the jewish families had collected over a period of time right uh, the way they did it was the generals in those areas would go and would identify works that really really identified with the concept of the aryan nation and so they would all be collected and parts of it would be moved such that hitler then had his huge collection which he had stashed away in order to again propagate the concept of superiority and concepts of uh, subjugation so what was seen was not only was there good works of art which he believed to be what he wanted stashed away but the works of art which in any way showed the aryan race to be not superior or inferior were destroyed right and that destruction really really caused a lot of problems because so many works of art right caravaggio for example he made only 18 paintings in his life and out of that two were destroyed by hitler right so this is a significant amount of culture that is completely destroyed and lost and lost to the rest of humanity right so what we're really going to look at is how 
the impact right of culture and so in its policy on cultural heritage the office of the prosecutor of the international criminal court has noted that cultural heritage right constitutes a unique and important testimony of the culture and identities of people so when we see that like i told you the example of caravaggio's paintings when two caravaggio paintings disappear out of 18 right that is a huge reduction in what is available as tangible cultural heritage and that is something that is lost forever for all times to come so what we're looking at today is the historical background to cultural property right the french revolution exemplified the symbol of cultural heritage where when the king was beheaded the local people really really were so angry they wanted to destroy every symbol that was associated with the king right and so the whole of the palace of versailles was destroyed and it really really had to be put together again by successive regimes in france the earliest legal regulations right on safeguarding national treasures was in 1666 when sweden passed a rule to safeguard them again through the 17th and 18th centuries we saw napoleon he exemplified the role of you know plunderer where he took vast amount of wealth and vast amount of cultural property from appropriated them right from various um nations that he uh, took over and uh, won over in in war as spoils of war and created museums in paris and in france to highlight and to kind of uh, symbolize the power that he had now in 1863 the liber code was the first attempt by the united states of america to create standards for the preservation of cultural products especially during the period of war this then was the basis for the brussels declaration in 1874 where the first universal codification of exactly what would happen to cultural property during war came about but because the british opposed it right and understandably so because they were looting india at that point it never it was never implemented but despite this in 1899 and 1907 right the hague convention for the protection of cultural artifacts and goods and the protection of heritage could never be secured the world wars happened and the international community again saw the mass and very severe destruction of cultural cultural and historical monuments artifacts and things which could never be brought again right so after several years of consideration post the second world war unesco under the aegis of the united nations really came together with the 1954 convention for the protection of cultural property in the event of armed conflict so this was the first systematic effort made solely for the protection of cultural property right now look at it from the indian perspective in india what happened is successive generations or successive dynasties have attacked and ruled india right from the mauryas to the chandragupta ashoka and then of course the really really violent ghazni dynasty mohammad ghori slave dynasty alauddin khilji right who is known to have taken the throne and melted all that gold and taken it back the tughlaq dynasty and so over the years as these successive dynasties came they wanted to put their stamp right so the northeast of india which is rajasthan and where really you know our rajputs are and they really really bore the brunt of it and you can see it in their culture right 
in their cultural heritage where their forts had huge walls to protect them why because of this constant onslaught right their women were always sheltered and kept inside why again because of the cultural issues of them being the first line of defense to protect india as a nation right and so what is important to see is that constantly when there is this onslaught what happened so just to give you perspective right the mongol dynasty or the mongol empire this pink area was what it was and you can see how much of india was taken away the khilji dynasty right came in from the west right and took in huge amounts of india and every time a successful dynasty came to rule india they would destroy right and therefore you can see to the south especially when the tughlaq dynasty came huge amounts of temples were plundered right although the legal implications of some of these issues right began to be articulated through the 19th century it was not until the widespread destruction that happened during world war 2 that people sat up and take notice to say that the culture protection of cultural property was important especially during armed conflict and we have seen the rampant destruction of cultural property recently in iraq in afghanistan uh, in mali so how does the law of armed conflict in international criminal law apply now in international humanitarian law which distinguishes armed conflicts like i told you of two kinds right the international armed conflict concerning two or more states and the non international armed conflicts between government forces and non governmental armed groups within the state now the geneva convention um, uh, also embodies this distinction right through the first and second additional protocols that came the statute of rome on the other hand deals with individual perpetrators of this destruction so to to apply right in the first instance when we are point, talking about point 1 and point 2 geneva convention would be the one you go to whereas it if it is an individual like in the case of mali where they found a gentleman who had perpetrated not only war crimes on culture but also on people he was tried under the statute of rome now how does international law protect cultural heritage right now deliberate attacks on culture surpasses the individual and then targets the entire history of people and obviously they do so to ensure that they get the maximum impact or the maximum destruction but the problem is that due to the scale right of the intentional attack on cultural property you can const- constitute this as a war crime a protection of cultural property under the 1954 hague convention for the protection of cultural property in the event of armed conflict and its two protocols of 1954 and 1999 where large parts of it look at what customary international law says right so customary international law why are they looking at it because in case a member a, a country has not ratified the convention right and who is not a signatory to the convention in certain instances can be held accountable to the convention and so this is it may be not a non uh, it may bind a party who is an who is not a signatory to the convention and therefore this is very important 
Now, the second important thing is that the protection of culture and religious sites, right, in conflict is an obligation under the Geneva Convention. So you cannot, while in your process of attack, just go and bomb churches, go bomb mosques, destroy temples, destroy synagogues, right? There has to be, and, and, and this would be considered as deliberate destruction in international armed conflict, right? And it is a grave breach. So they have looked at what are the various thresholds for something to be called a war crime. That was part one of our podcast episode on international law and the impact of conflict on cultural property. In part two, Kamala Naganand will discuss the various treaties that have come into play over the years, which look at cultural property and the implementation and enforcement of these international obligations. You can find a link to part two in our show notes, and you can find the rest of our podcasts on LinkedIn or at www.arnalaw.com.